Welcome everybody to Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev, otherwise known as Joel. We are starting a brand new series tonight. It is called To the Exiles. We are in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a very unique book in the, Old, in the New Testament. It is some of the hardest Greek in the New Testament. It is pivotal for theology. And it is a special treat for us to journey on tonight. I want to open with John 21, 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Ooh, good answer, Peter. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. First Peter. This is what I'm presenting to you as Peter's magnum opus, as it were. Peter taking Jesus' command literally to teach, to shepherd, to feed. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Our first section of our worksheet, our worksheet is on Zoom here. I want to say hello to everybody on Zoom. Hello to everybody who's going to listen to this on a podcast. Welcome in person. It's glad to be here as well. It's been, it's been what, a year and a half, if not longer. We had a great class, and then COVID hit, and then we had to reinvent the wheel. We had to just figure out how we're going to keep teaching, and we did. Some of you I'm seeing for the first time in this class. Awesome sauce. I'm glad you're here. This is great. And you will find out real quick if you connect with my teaching style or not. I am pretty much different than everybody else. First Peter 1. We've got a to and a from. So this is like a gift tag. You know, you want to see at Christmas time. First Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Pause. There's no massaging it. We get the impression that Paul, when he wrote his letters had to kind of work himself in because there was enough people out there that heard of that Saul guy and they're like well I don't know if I can entirely trust you or whatever they had going on in their mind Paul sometimes had to just kind of bring himself up he had to kind of justify you know I'm, I'm an apostle yes I am here's who here's my credentials I guess all these things Peter just is like I'm an apostle done he just like the mic dropped at that point Peter, if Paul has some kind of weird credibility issue, Peter has none. Peter is just an apostle of Jesus Christ. Everybody knew of Peter. Now, there's, there is an argument out there that the people receiving 1 Peter had never even met Peter. It didn't matter. 
He was Peter. The Peter. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the two. Who's the from? To God's elect, the scattered exiles. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia. By the way, I've give you, given you a map. That map, if you're, if you're a geography person, that's a map of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So glance on there, the Roman provinces. You see where we get the name for Asia. That was a Roman province of Asia. And you've got all the names on there. Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace to you in abundance. So right away in these first two verses, we'll just take the Peter part out of this for one second. Right away we're getting some heavy, heavy theology. Peter's opening here is... It's unlike any other. So I kind of broke them down here with some key words. So to God's elect, scattered exiles. These are people who were Christians, most likely from a Jewish background, scattered throughout the Roman Empire. This area right here was, um, how shall I say, if you look at the left side of the map to the, on the coast of Asia, you see a major city called Ephesus. That was a big dog city right there. You go to the south, you got Tarsus, where Paul's originally from. You got Antioch down there. Those are big time cities. Up in Asia Minor here, not really. I'm not saying this is flyover country or armpit territory, but these, these aren't your greatest kind of places you'd want to go to in the day. So Peter is already writing to people who are kind of forgotten by others. Peter who people who are on the outskirts to the elect, to God's elect. Boy that gosh, that sounds that sounds awkward. Why would God have elect? Do you mean to tell me that because we've all participated, most of us at least, in an election where we make choices. And so are you saying God makes a choice? Well to God's elect scattered throughout those provinces Verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Those of you who are, have been in my classes before, you'll be quick to recognize the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in that verse, aren't they? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and obedient to Jesus Christ the Son. There it is. So we have the Trinity involved in these people's lives. To God's elect scattered exiles. I put here number three, chosen. Let's just be blunt. Peter, Jesus once said to the disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. If you are in a relationship with God, it is because he chose you to be in a relationship with him. I'll just be theologically blunt. That is what it means to be the elect, that God has elected you for salvation, that God has elected you to be in that saving relationship with him. I like to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your sins. So salvation isn't so much like the ICU ward of, of a hospital, where you're hanging on for dear life, and as long as you take your medicine, you'll be okay. No, salvation is more like the morgue. You're dead. You're crispy critters. You're done. And then God has to come in. 
and say, all right, you have no shot at being in a relationship with me. You are dead. Not you are on life support in your sins. You're dead in your sins. You've got no chance unless God has elected you. That's why it's by grace we're saved. We don't ever deserve grace. We don't ever bring our resume to God and say, see, there I am. God's elect who are chosen. This is why you are in a relationship with God. Sanctified. Ooh, that's a big word. But yet you say words like sanctuary. Well, we used to say words like sanctuary. Now churches have other words for sanctuary. But it's a place of, of, that's holy, that's set apart. Sanctus. The idea of you're sanctified, you are being made holy. Take it and turn to John chapter 3. John the Baptist is looking on the hillside and seeing Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And towards the end of John chapter 3, he says, He must increase and I must decrease. Or he must become greater, I must become less. So if you think about being a new creation, what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? He's sanctifying you, making you less like you and more like Jesus. That's the goal. Because if you are still the old Joel and not the new Joel in Christ, danger will Robinson danger. That's not what we want. That's not what our goal is. So sanctified. The Holy Spirit at work. The work of the Spirit. Sanctified is how you are in a relationship with God. Why you're in that relationship is because God has chosen you. It's all God's choice. If it, was my, if it was my choice, I think I would choose otherwise because I'm too addicted to myself. And I bet you are too to yourself. That's why Jesus says, you want to follow after him, you've got to deny yourself because that self's always going to be in the way. You're sanctified. That's how you're in a relationship with God. Obedient. That's our response to God's work in us. God expects us to be obedient. So we have... Chosen according to the, the, the knowledge of uh, foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God has chosen you to respond. You respond in faith and you respond in obedience. God has chosen you to be sprinkled with his blood. Sprinkled with his blood? What in the world does that mean? It's an Exodus 24 image. I want you to think about Exodus 24. They're ratifying the covenant. You know, this is the blood of the covenant, Jesus would say in Mark. And that's the blood of the new covenant. What's the blood of the old covenant? They're there on Mount Sinai. Moses has got their law. He's writing it down. And he says, people, this is the covenant. I'm paraphrasing. And they say, yes, we will do it. Moses then responds by taking blood and sprinkling it and placing it around the altar. That's the original sprinkling of blood, and it's tied to the covenant. So it ties in perfectly with Jesus, who at the Last Supper is saying, this is the blood of the covenant, except now it's the new covenant, a new covenant in Jesus. So we respond in obedience according to that brand, that new covenant. So you're chosen, you're sanctified, you're obedient. It's the, your relationship is sealed by that covenant. Nobody is out choosing God at any point. So you're sealed. So I want to ask a question here, and I just want you to think about this question. I don't want any responses right now. Just please think about this. How would this information in, in, in Peter's opening, 
How would that have been encouraging to rejected, persecuted Christians? These are people who are getting their butt whipped, who are having to go through some hard times. They're rejected. They're suffering. They're being persecuted. They're from a part of... of, of I mean, I grew up downstate. I grew up in Decatur. We gave the world soybeans and the Chicago Bears. That's about it. All right? I'm oversimplifying there. But for the most people in, 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 in the state of Illinois, like, it's Chicago and it's corn. All right? This is, this is like... Uh, these people, I don't know if they were hicks, but they were not in the sticks. In Pontus and Bithynia and all that kind of stuff. They're forgotten about until it comes time to persecute them, and they're not forgotten about. So think about how this would sound like to them. You guys, you're chosen. Yeah, God chose you. You are important to God. Now, this wasn't written to us, but guess what? Class is preserved for us. All of us who belong to Jesus, we are God's elect. And we're scattered in the suburbs of Chicagoland, aren't we? We're chosen. We're sanctified. We're expected to be obedient. And as we sing, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We partake in this new covenant in Jesus Christ. Verses 3 to 5, some praiseworthy matters. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. What's mercy? In God's great mercy. I like to differentiate. This is not mine. I heard this from somewhere. Don't ask me where. But... Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So in God's great mercy, he's given us new birth. This is what Jesus and Nicodemus are trying to talk about. Remember Nicodemus is like, what am I supposed to do? Um, my mother, and he's thinking, he's thinking in terms of biology and, 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 and like a hospital waiting room, if those existed back then, or a birthing room. no. No, there's something, the flesh gives birth to flesh, flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. There's something spiritual going on about this new birth. Peter here is talking about regeneration. This act of God. This is where we get the idea about being born again. Again, from John 3 in a place like here. Some people out there are like, oh, Christian, you're the born again type. Yeah, you bet I am. Because until, unless I'm born again, I'm the same old me. And I will always get in the way. I will never on my own follow Jesus unless Jesus has done something special in me. You are all walking miracles. Because of this regeneration. Because of this new birth. Of what God has done in your life. You see, if you're a person of faith, faith always has an object. Are you a person of faith? Well, yes, I am. Well, who? Or what? I have faith in science. Or I have faith in the church. Or I have faith in... Your faith has to have an object. I just realized I don't need to have this up here. Your faith always has an object. The object of our faith is Jesus. 
Some of you might be thinking, oh, I don't like it when you call somebody an object. We're referencing your faith. Faith always has an object. What about living hope? Living hope is the goal of your regeneration. Why did God choose you? Why did God cause you to have faith? Why did God give you a, a re, why did he regenerate you? So you can have this hope. This hope is the goal. And hope, just like faith always has an object, hope always has a focus. What are you hoping in? You always have a focus on your hope. I just hope we make it to another year. I just hope we make it to this, or I hope this happens. Your hope always has a focus. And here, that focus seems tied to this word called inheritance. Look at this. He's given us new birth, verse 3, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, that's like that, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, that Easter hymn. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, I know that I have that hope, that death is not the end. The last page of my story is not sin and death. That's a great hope. That's a hope that Martha had to figure out when her brother Lazarus died, right? They called Jesus, and he purposely was late. Some of you might be late to your own funeral. I got people in my life that you, you, just, you tell them a different time the party starts because you know they're going to be fashionably late. And by fashionably late, you just guess. Jesus was on purpose late. And Martha had an issue. Lord, if you'd have been here, something would have been different. And he talked about the resurrection. That general hope. And she said, yeah, 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 I know. One day we're all going to resurrect. He says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He calls her on the spot. And to her credit, she did. And she gave a great line of response. That's not a general hope. That resurrection hope is what makes a Christian funeral not as sad as a non-Christian funeral. You go to a Christian funeral, there's hope. We grieve, but we have hope as we grieve. It's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Our inheritance, a living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. Wow. It's a permanent kind of inheritance. There, it's an uncompromised or more of a pure... There, there's a possibility in the Roman world that the Roman pater or father would say, I will consider you my son or my daughter, and I'll have you as part of my family, but you've got to do something for the family name. You have to, I don't know, let your dreams run wild. This is the Roman Empire. There's possibilities where you could have part of an inheritance, but you have to do something that is morally kind of, you know, whamp, whamp, whamp. But you get the blessings of the inheritance as long as you do what the father of the family wants you to do. And God's saying, no, it's not like that at all. This is a morally pure inheritance. You don't have to manipulate anybody to receive it. You get it. It's permanent, it's uncompromised, and it's protected. It's kept safe in heaven for you, who through faith, verse 5, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is a cheesy pun, but it's a shield of faith here. You see, these are people who, 
In fact, the very next section is going to talk about this. They're getting their tails whipped about something. They're going through trials. They're going through really, really hard times. So, how does God work in our life through our faith? There's this idea that God's at work now and God is still at work in the future. That God is preserving you to the end. But He's still working on you right now. Providing for you right now. We pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. But at the same time, we also pray, Give us this day our daily bread. That idea of I'm praying for the future, that secureness with God, but also for my provision now. God's work has both a present and a future aspect. And then we get this idea of a salvation timeline. You're probably thinking, Big Rev, what in the world are you going on here? In verse 6, in, or excuse me, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. What in the world is that, Peter? The coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the, at the last time? Aren't I saved right now? What are you talking about the last time? Don't I have salvation now? Yes. 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 You see, like many things in the Bible, especially in terms of like prophecy, there's a tension here. It's an already and not yet tension. Sal your salvation history is this. Does it involve your past? Well, of course it does. You at one time gave your life to Jesus. You confessed your sins, you repented of your evil ways, and you turned to Jesus. You probably followed in Christian baptism. Your salvation has a past quality to it. Here, we're waiting for the last time. There's an element of our salvation that's going to be a full and final element of our salvation. If we take this verse at face value, there's a not yet portion of our salvation. What would be different in the future? Well, at that point, sin is no longer part of our story, right? Because we'll be entering eternity, you know, resurrection bodies, going to heaven, or being apart with Jesus forever. Um, yeah. You see, we're saved in the present. We have been saved in the past when we gave our life to Jesus. We accepted him as Lord. And we await a full and final salvation. In a full, complete, and final way. That can't be where there is no sin anymore. There is no anything else. No selfishness, no pride, nothing. We await that, verse 5. But trials, verse 6. Actually, you know what? Before we go here, let's pause. Zoom, I don't know if anybody has any questions. If so, make sure... Uh, make sure Ruth gets them, because Ruth is in class with me. In-person class, do we have any questions thus far, these first five verses? Anything standing out like, oh gosh, I didn't get that, or we missed something there? I just want to give you an opportunity to just to interact real quick with a question of these first five verses. Maybe the culture, maybe the, about First Peter in general. That's on the table, I guess. We're studying First Peter. I can't tell you when 1 Peter was written. I can tell you what people think. Um, 
History kind of just says he died in AD 64. So we would like to think it was written before then, but we don't exactly know. Just saying, this is one of those things we don't know. Peter most likely hired someone called an amanuensis. This is probably not Peter's Greek. It is exceptional Greek. It is Greek that I dare say is better than Paul. It is the equal of Hebrews in terms of Greek. It is tough Greek. Uh, I doubt, it's possible, I guess, I doubt this is Peter's Greek. Peter dictated it to a professional scribe called an amanuensis. They did it all the time back then. You even see them in the pages of the Bible saying, hi, I wrote this. So whoever he hired had some good Greek. Money well spent. All right, Zoom, any questions? Otherwise, we'll continue with trials. You're here because of these trials, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Ooh, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, and gold which perishes even though refined by fire, it all may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A couple questions to think about. Number one, what do all these trials we go through produce an opportunity for? Just look at the text. You're going through a lot, Christian, aren't you? We live in a society that keeps adding things to your plate, doesn't it? This world is not easy, is it? We thought the quarantines of the past year was hard. Our society keeps adding more and more and more. Some of us are going through a lot. We're going through grief. Some of us are going through pain. We're going through loss. We're going through suffering. We're going through unemployment. We're going through divorce. We're going through all these things that just keep hitting us. We're going through, we're depressed. And by the way, if you're depressed, I'm depressed. I struggle with that. I have for most of my life. Peter's one of my heroes. Spoiler alert. Peter knows depression. Oh, goodness. He denied Jesus three times. When Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter famously wasn't there, which is why I was really glad we started with John 21, because Jesus restored Peter three times. Feed my lambs. We go through a lot, and we may sit here and go, God, why? In fact, those of us who are a bit more mature and spiritually, we've learned to lament. And lament is kind of like theologically being a Karen and just taking it right to the manager and saying, I'm not going to talk to the gal behind the counter. I'm going to go right to the manager. And I'm just going to lament and say, God, I don't like what I'm going through. And that is, as long as it doesn't come with doubt, Doubt would be, and God, therefore, you must be bad because I have bad times. Or God, you really can't provide because my life really stinks right now. No, don't go there. Lament. Take your issues right to God. This same Peter is later in this book going to say, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Yes. Why am I going through this, Lord? Why? Friends, Half of my life I have had MS. It sometimes really stinks. Other times it's, it's, it's okay. I just turned 43. I was diagnosed at 21. Over half my life. 
Some of you are going through something really hard right now, and you're asking, why, why, why? Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So how you live right now, Christian, in the junk you're going through, has a perspective. Give glory to God. You trusting in God in the middle of this ick right now gives God glory. Wow. That may not be the why answer you're looking for, but it's an answer right there. What are the future results of our joyful, enduring faith? Well, again, praise, glory, and honor. What do you think they're doing in the book of Revelation? They're singing, Salvation belongs to our God. They're singing that to Jesus right there. Praise and glory and wisdom and strength and honor and power. All these things, you get to do that. You don't even have to be in heaven singing. You can be doing that right now by how you endure. How you live. You say to yourself, I'm going to do 1 Corinthians 10.31 today. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do is going to be all for the glory of God. Boom! That's your day. Make that your priority. In the midst of your trials, you recognize, wait a minute. God is still God and God is still good. I can have joy in the midst of this. Wow, what a perspective. Joy says, God, you've got this. Joy says, I'm going to be still and know that you're God. Joy says in Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. The perspective of verse 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. Here he goes again, the salvation timeline. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Aren't I already saved? Yes. Will it be full and final one day? Yes. Are you receiving blessings right now of your salvation? Oh, heck yes. That's why we're here. One of my Joel phrases is you can have faith, but have faith with teeth. Faith with teeth is when life is really hard, but you still acknowledge that God is faithful, even though life sucks, you can say, God, you're still faithful. When you're going through really, really, really hard times and you still trust God, that's faith. But buds, that's faith with teeth. What's faith with teeth? Check out what Peter says here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Ain't none of us seen Jesus. Not once. But even though you have not seen him, I look up the Greek on this one. You agape him. That's a great Greek word. Some of us many years ago learned about the three words for love. And that agape love is a really special love that is with God and with us and with us and God. We don't agape on our own. If I remember correctly, in John 3, it talks about people loving darkness because their deeds are evil. And I believe they agape that darkness. 
which is extra shameful. And it's shameful, but it's my story. It's probably your story, too, before Jesus got a hold of you. You haven't seen Jesus, but in the midst of your trials, you can still agape Jesus. That's pretty cool, because who's writing this book of the Bible? Jesus' best friend. Nobody saw Jesus more than Peter saw Jesus. I'm just saying. It's like Peter's standing in awe of us, those who are receiving this letter and us, us who are like them, also having seen Jesus. And going, you haven't seen him, but you love him. Jesus, saw, Jesus was seen by Peter, and did Peter love him in his worst hour? Man, man. Faith leads to salvation. Salvation leads to joy. From what are you saved? This is something you ought to know. If someone looks at you and says, salvation, what's that all about? What are you saved from? Because if you're saying you're saved, that means you are saved from something. If you're in medieval England and you're racing, you're being chased by knights on horseback, and you're racing to a church or a cathedral, and you're yelling out, sanctuary, sanctuary, hopefully they'll take you inside and shut the doors, and you'll be saved from that evil horde. To say that you're saved, you've got to answer this question, what in the world am I saved from? Well, it's from my sins. Not precisely. What are you saved from? You want to claim salvation? You should claim salvation. I claim salvation. You should. It is by grace you've been saved, through faith. Amen. But what are you saved from? It's Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being displayed upon the sin of the world. You're saved from God's justice. And God's justice is the wages of sin is death. So the paycheck that sin earns is death. You are saved from God's just wrath to be placed upon you for your sins. Because you, in your sin, are God's enemy. Romans 5. You have, you have to experience God's wrath as a sinner. Unless there be somebody who would take your place. A substitute. Who would bear your cross and experience God's wrath that you deserved, but upon himself. We track in gospel-wise? You deserve God's wrath, but Jesus, in your place, bore the punishment, i.e., the wrath for your sin. Oh, how I love Jesus. Yes. Though you have not seen him, you love him him oh you do every time you take communion i want you to picture he paid your price anybody ever talks about injustice needs to remember the greatest injustice of all time was jesus on the cross he paid for sin that wasn't his he died a death he didn't deserve that's salvation you've been saved from god's wrath expressed because of your sins. So your sins are not exactly wrong, it's just not precise. Because the follow-up question is, I'm saved from my sins, but what about your sins? That's a little, just a little bit nebulous. I'm saved from God's wrath. 
there was a substitute who bore it in my place. How can the joy of the Lord be your strength now? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. I've forgotten about chapter. It's just tucked in there. You're going through a lot of junk right now. Life is really hard right now. You're going through some things that you don't like going through. But the perspective of having joy, and joy is not wishy-washy. It's not nebulous. Joy is not something, well, I just, you can be not happy. You can wake up and go, I'm just not happy today. Happiness kind of has a shelf life. It sometimes can be manipulated by things. You know, you wake up, you look in the mirror, and like, hey, look at that. I look pretty good. That's your story. It's not mine. You might be happy. People call it a good hair day. Or I used to have a really beat up car. Didn't know if it was going to start that day. Turn the key and, oh, it's going to be a good day. I'm happy. But joy? Joy is like that ID in your wallet or in your purse. It's always you. It used to better be. Joy isn't manipulated by anything. Joy is. Even when we go through hard times. You see, that's the whole point of 1 Peter. We've got to know what our identity is. Because these people are being persecuted for their faith. Those of us who stand for Christ, we may be persecuted. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now are being persecuted. They're being chased, being targeted, being killed. Deny Christ or die. I'm just saying, your ID doesn't change. What about salvation history, 10 to 12? Kind of an interesting ending here. Concerning the salvation, the prophets, and Jesus, or Peter here kind of goes old school. And by old school, I'm talking about Old Testament prophets, old school. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, remember he's still speaking to who? To whom? Yeah, these people in Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia, these, these also rans, these forgotten, these persecuted, these people who don't feel like they're worth the powder to blow them to Hades because the life is just beating on them. The prophet spoke to you, searching intensely with the greatest care. It gives us an idea that someone like Isaiah, he wrote that, he copied down that 53rd chapter, talking about this, this servant, this one who's going to die. By his stripes we are healed. And it gives the idea that Isaiah wrote that down. He's like, okay, this is what God gave me. I'm going to put it down. But then he, he put it on the table and went, all right, now let's get cracking. Let's turn into CSI and try to figure out when. They searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. So this answers a question you probably didn't ask. Did the Holy Spirit ever talk to the prophets beyond the Scripture? Evidently, here it is. The Holy Spirit told them, you're going to write this stuff down, but evidently you're not going to see it. It's for someone in the future. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you, O oh, first century forgotten, also ran Christian, reading this letter. When they spoke of the things they have now, 
that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the Holy Spirit penned these words. The Holy Spirit uses these words when they are preached. The Holy Spirit, his word is alive and active. He used the prophets to communicate it. And he uses, so these readers here, they most likely hadn't met Peter. But they heard the gospel and they responded. The Holy Spirit was in that moment, enabling that response. That's our story, too. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels don't get a lot of play in uh, the epistles. We don't hear much about angels. Yeah, I know Jude has a couple words here and there. Even angels are looking into this. Well, think about it. Who knows when the end time is? Who knows when Christ is coming back? Not Jesus. Not the angels. They don't know it either. They're looking into this. It's like you as you struggle, you as you are going through this life, how you respond, how you give God glory, it's not a far stretch to say that heaven's paying attention. At the minimum, Christ is. You are special. These first century believers are special, and those of us who remain today are special. The special position of these rejected believers. They were rejected by men, but they are chosen and precious to God. My friends, so are you. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. No matter what you go through, no matter what you have to face, you can have that joy. And that joy can be your strength. This has been Big Rev for Masterclass Theology. Thanks for letting me share. Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.